My song might haunt your dreams Tonight I'm the man From God knows where Singer, songwriter, painter, essayist, collaborator, criminologist, folk, country, Americana, beat. All of the above, none of the above. This is Tom Russell's podcast from God Knows Where. John Yolkenbeck from Frontera Records here again. We've been to Texas, we've been to Missouri, now we're in Massachusetts. So this really is the podcast from God Knows Where. You never know where it's going to come from. Today we're going to talk about concept records in general. We're going to talk about Tom's three-record trilogy, which I know there's been a lot of concept albums out there, but I don't know anybody that's done it over the course of three completely different records like this. I think back to the earliest one might have been the Dust Bowl ballads that Woody Guthrie did, and then um, in the 50s there was the breakup with Ava Gardner, Frank Sinatra record in the wee small hours, and you know Tom has uh, a song about Ava Gardner and Frank Sinatra getting divorced when Sinatra played Juarez, so that kind of ties in. Anyway, of course, once you get to the rock era, everybody knows Sgt. Pepper. But I think maybe what we'll do is start out by asking Tom to tell us a few of his inspirations when it comes to the whole idea of a concept album and what his thoughts on that are. So here's Tom sitting in the room with me, and let's find out what he has to say. Howdy, John. Great to be here. High above Harvard Square, we're feeling witty and intellectual. One, one more show. I thought we were feeling hungover, but okay. That too. It, we're ready for end of tour party, that's for sure. But uh, concept records, you know, I've always been fixated with them. Uh, my parents had a huge record collection, LP collection. We did have those Frank Sinatra concept records. I mean, he didn't write his stuff, but I think he purposely had people yeah. write those kinds of songs no, he, for him. He thought very thematically and... Uh, but on the other side, I had a brother that collected cowboy records, and cowboy records, as they are, are concept records, because whether it was Tex Ritter's great record, Blood on the Saddle, or the best cowboy record of all time, Marty Robbins' Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs that has El Paso on it, that was a huge, not only country hit, but a pop hit, and uh, he hit the ball out of the park, and I was deeply inspired by that, probably that inspired Gallo Del Cielo later on. What was the theme behind the Tex Ritter album? Cowboy songs, bloody cowboy songs. Of course, Tex uh, sang the opening to the great movie uh, High Noon. Was that John Ford? I don't remember, but... Sounds good. Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, and uh, Blood on the Saddle was a real bloody song. Basically gritty cowboy songs. That's mostly what Tex did. But also in the house, I had an uncle who was a concert pianist, George Malloy, and uh, I also was fixated on Broadway musicals from the 50s and said the classic ones, Rodgers and Hammerstein, or The Music Man, or you know, My Fair Lady, Lerner and Lowe. And those, Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, Rodgers and Hammerstein, Oklahoma. O-K-L-A-H-O-M-A. Obviously, a Broadway musical is a perfect concept record, and uh, those were the golden years. Although I do like Les Mis a lot, which was translated into English from the French. And what I really like were not the big songs, the big love songs in all these musicals, but the side characters, the funny songs, you know, Trouble in River City and uh, 
Master of the House in Les Mis and uh, in uh, Lerner and Lowe's My Fair Lady, the the gal's father uh, who's going to get married. He's a real reprobate. I'm getting married in the morning. You know, and I love the side characters. So, you know, I, I drew from that. And then later when I started writing, I was, uh, you know, of course I knew Sergeant Peppers, but Willie Nelson's Phases and Stages is a big record for me. And one side, it's about a breakup, marital breakup. One side is the man's version and the other side is he writes the female version, he sings it all. Whalen did a lot of those songs. Then his next record, when he got off Atlantic and got on Columbia, was Red-Headed Stranger, another, a cowboy-themed thing that, that did very well. But I liked Phases and Stages, and I think it influenced the way I did uh, Rosa Roscray later, because I had a male side, one of the CD, and then the second CD was the female side. But before we get to that, there was a couple others. Paul Simon's The Cape Man is quite interesting. Which really bombed when it came out. Yeah. And uh, was that just misunderstood? I mean, I don't remember it doing that much for me. Maybe I need to go back and revisit that one. I think uh, a friend of mine, John Polk, used to work at uh, Columbia and those labels and gave it to me. And he said, I don't know what to think. He's getting bombed for this one. Paul tried to put it on Broadway and he it closed after two weeks. The Cape Man, basically, real quick, is about a uh, Puerto Rican uh, gang lord who kills a couple of other people in an Irish street gang. And he's actually on the record and uh, in a few interviews while he was being taken to jail. Nah, you know, like a real tough guy. I didn't do anything and go away. And he actually got out of prison 20, 30 years later and whatever, went back to Puerto Rico. But... I think what really enraged people was that it was a politically incorrect move to honor or kind of play up a, a murder. I think, and, and I think the Irish guys who were killed, their relatives, really slammed it. But it was a damn good record with a lot of authentic Puerto Rican salsa on it. And uh, anyway, I thought it was pretty good. But I think my all-time favorite might be Randy Newman's Good Old Boys with all of Randy Newman's dark humor about the South and uh, Huey Long and uh, lots of tongue-in-cheek stuff about racism and he gets the point across. But the other essential thing for writers who want to think conceptually is get the, the re-release double album because it has Randy Newman's demos of the good old boys and the thing was originally titled Johnny Cutler's Birthday. And it shows us how Randy's mind works because he's talking you through the demos as he's laying them down for the producer, I forget his name, saying, yeah, Johnny comes down for his birthday, and his wife's singing happy birthday, and he says, screw you, and he has some of the original songs in it, but the one that came out initially, Good Old Boys, was completely different from the demos, but it's fascinating. Uh, so, you know, those are some of the ones that influenced me, as well as Johnny Cash's great Ballads of the West, which I wrote about in my book of essays, Ceremonies of the Horseman. Available on Amazon. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting how those things develop over time. I mean, we hear it once it's full-blown, recorded. Here's this album, you know, this concept album, and you're listening to it, but you don't realize just how much work, thought, and evolution goes into something like that. So that brings me, Let's. I think we should just start at the beginning, of course, and go with your first folk opera, 
uh, in the trilogy, which was Man from God Knows Where. How did that come across for you? You had already been recording just albums of regular songs, and did you always have some sort of idea of, I'm going to do a big concept folk opera? Did you already see the trilogy? Talk to me about all that. Yeah, I always wanted to to write something that could maybe make off Broadway or Broadway. I mean, I'm such a fan of musicals. I mean, I always mostly write to a theme on my records. You know, the new record, uh, October and the Railroad Earth, I call, you know, Jack Kerouac meets Johnny Cash with a Bakersfield sound. But, and then there were records like uh, Borderland, about the border. But Well, I oh, think of Masabi, where to yeah. me there's lots of stories about, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know if I would call them fallen stars, but stars that maybe didn't end up yep. that well. Sterling you know, Hayden. Sterling Hayden, and, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, Ukulele Ike. And the kid who played uh, the cabin boy in Treasure Island, Bobby Driscoll. Bobby Driscoll, which, you know, a lot of people thought that was about Michael Jackson because of the Neverland thing, which you could almost draw that comparison as well. Another fallen hero there. Michael Jackson in Disneyland, Lock the Gates, Goofy. Yeah. yeah. But what I was thinking, I started reading some of my ancestors' uh, diaries, the, the ones that came from uh, Ireland. My ancestors came mostly from Ireland and one great-great-grandfather from Norway, near Bergen, Norway, and I uh, don't know much about him except he ended up in Wisconsin, and they all ended up in Iowa, farmers and ranchers. I mean, not cowboys, but owning horse stables. One was a sheriff. But I started reading the diaries and thought, man, there's a there's a record here. The Man from God Knows Where the title comes from a poem written about an Irish patriot who was uh, killed called Thomas Russell, and uh, he was the man from God Knows. In, into the Night... On a something horse rides the man from God knows where. It's a famous poem. And he related to you or no, just, just coincidence? I could say he was, but he's, well, unless generally he could be, but he's an Irish patriot fighting against Northern Ireland, I believe, and he was killed and somebody wrote a poem. So I based it around that theme and I caught the ear of a gent who uh, ran a record company in Norway named Eric Hillestad, very big on world music and going to the borders of countries and refugees. and He, he has a church-based label in, uh, I can't even pronounce it, Kirkus something, in Oslo. And he said, let's do this. Tell me your idea, write the songs, and whoever you want in it, if we can afford it, we'll fly them to Norway. I'll rent a farmhouse up on the coast that I know about near the Hardanger Fjord. Hardanger is also the name of a fiddle that's on the record. I'll talk about that in a minute. And we'll record the record in a week, a week and a half. And I thought, wow, this guy is doing this. So we flew uh, Iris Dement, the great singer from Kansas City. That we introduced you to after the Kansas City show that we booked for you. And uh, my friend Corky said, hey, I've got this person to open for Tom. And I'm like, yeah, who's that? And, oh, it's a customer at my record store. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know if that's who we want opening for Tom. Oh, yeah, she's she's going to be on the same label, going to have this album coming out. Her name's Iris DeMent. And the rest is history. Bingo. The rest yeah. is history. They opened for me. And then a couple years later, I noticed I'm opening for some of them, like Nancy Griffith. <laughs> but great singer. She toured with John Prine and Merle Haggard, but Iris is on there and was flown over. Dolores Keene, the great Irish singer. Dave Van Romp wasn't flown over to uh, uh, Norway because he couldn't make it, but he recorded his part. 
The Outcast, which is brilliant the way he pulled it off. Have I ever told you my anecdote about that? No. So back when you were recording the album, I, and you were, I'm sure, just completely joking, but you told me you had a few people in mind. First off, you wanted Dave Van Rock for The Outcast. Yeah. Then you had Shane McGowan and Tom Waits. And you told me if all of those fell through, you were going to have me do it. And I remember I ran into Dave at a concert, and this was not too long before he passed away, and I was telling him that story, and the guy was such a uh, nice guy and so generous, and he was very sincere, and he started telling me he was very sorry if he had taken away a job from me. And I just I started laughing. I said, Dave, no, you don't understand. You were Tom's first choice, probably only choice. He was so glad to have you on that, but what a great guy. What, what a voice, too. The voice was perfect. He plays this kind of carny that meets the uh, immigrants that are coming through uh, the island, uh, you know, near the statue of Ellis Island. Ellis Island, and uh, come get, you know, maybe us, you know, welcome to America, you know. And he's the outcast, and he's trying to take their money and all this. He he appears two or three times on the record. We recorded that in New York, but uh, Dave was perfect. I talk about him a little, I think, on Hot Walker. Then there were a couple of. Two or three great Norwegian singers and musicians, Kari Bremnes, who is very well known in uh, in Norway, a great singer. She sings a couple of duets with Iris Dement on the record as some spirituals. Sandra Brotlin, a male singer, uh, an old uh, traditional folk singer, uh, did some great stuff. Anna Bjorg Lien plays the Hardanger fiddle. And that has such a unique tone yeah. and sound to it, it's amazing. It has an extra string uh, than a regular fiddle, and so it has a drone string. And it's very unique uh, to Norwegian music. So she's uh, on the record throughout. And uh, Eric Hillestad did a great job producing. We had a great time. We, we recorded during the day, and then there was wine and catered meals at night in one of the oldest farmhouses on this fjord, this body of water out there. I think it caught the vibe. It did very well. It was reviewed in The Atlantic and Kronos Quartet, who are quite, uh, that artistic quartet, who are quite popular, and, and they work in uh, conceptual themes. The guy called me up, I forget his name, the leader, this was about the time the record came out. He was walking through uh, Tower Records somewhere in San Francisco, and he saw the cover, which was my great-great-grandfather, and the title intrigued him, so he bought the record, loved it and got in touch with me and we had lunch in San Francisco and he said we got to do something with this. As with a lot of things nothing really ever transpired and I had some Broadway interest. I think it was acted out in, in a few colleges, one up in Oklahoma. I never got to see the production. but I, came, I remember somebody writing to me about that from that production. They were asking me for some uh, artwork or something. I don't remember. It came very close, you know, and I didn't. I was already moving on to something else. But uh, a wonderful special record that owes a lot to Eric Hillestad and also my old friend uh, Tom Shakelisather in Norway who was one of my first friends there and a great reviewer who introduced me to Eric Hillestad. Well, speaking of moving on, should we, <laughs> dare we, go into the territory few men tread toward, which is Hot Walker? Dare we talk about it? Yeah, let's talk about it a little. little. I, you, you know, I don't want to alienate anybody. You won't. I mean, people come up to me at the gigs and they, they all love it. They just, they're like, this is the thing. They'll point it out to somebody else. You got to hear this. 
but it was kind of controversial when it came the out. Wall. There's some cursing in it. There's a, it's a lot of spoken word, and, and uh, it's narrated by that excitable boy, Little Jack, Little Gordon, Jack, who was a circus dwarf or midget living down in Gibtown, Florida. Now, people have asked me if he's the guy on the cover of, like the back cover of Road Biamon or on the front of our uh, Biamon. He knew that guy because that guy was a famous midget that worked all over the world in the circus, but he's kind of Tom Thumb. But we couldn't have a better narrator, you know, and... Uh, but it wasn't about the circus life, it was about the beat generation. Well, he, nor, knew, he knew Charles Bukowski, and he knew, and he, he's very, uh, loquacious isn't the word, he's very articulate with American slang. And, and here's a point before we move away from Jack. I would call this podcast the Ballad of American Voices, because I think especially with Hot Walker, because there's so much spoken word... We captured a lot of great American lingo, slang, and characters. Little Jack, Dave Van Ronk is on there a little Woody bit. Woody Guthrie. Woody Guthrie. Charles Bukowski tells a story. Uh, Lenny Bruce is on there. Is Walt Whitman on there? Uh, he's, he, I know he's on he's Man on, from God Knows Where, right? He's on the next record we're going to talk okay, about. Okay, we'll get back to that. Jack Kerouac is on there. Um, Edward Abbey. Harry Parch. Ramblin' Jack giving us a little vignette about Woody Guthrie, and then uh, I do a Woody Guthrie song. Ramblin' Jack also makes it onto Ross Cray yeah. when we get to that. I mean, because I think people should actually hear those voices. You should hear what Lenny Bruce sounded like. Kerouac, Abbey, Harry Parch, you invented a whole new form of American music. Ramblin' Jack giving us the lowdown on Woody, and I'm like, Woody really wasn't... The that nice. A lot of people didn't like Woody, except for his artists. Yes. They're they're like that. That's right. A lot of well, I'm not going to say. You know, you rub some people the wrong. Two people I really dig were the street singers, the street gospel singers, the Reverend Baby Hoover and Virginia Brown, blind street singers that lived in Brooklyn. Very very special sound. Did you and know them from your days in Brooklyn? How did that come about? I knew them from being on Rounder Records. Uh, somebody handed me the record, the LP. Dig this, and it blew me away. You know, shall I wander through the pilgrim land? It was, it's kind of set the tone of a lot of things. And then there's a song about Bakersfield that everybody loves because we weave into Bakersfield called Grapevine and. The great Red Vocart is playing guitar on that. He used to play with Merle Haggard, and weirdly enough, he came out of the straight, the same clubs in Vancouver that I did, the Skid Row clubs in the 70s. He was called Little Red Vocart, and he lives in Austin now and plays with Bill Kirchin sometimes. But I think the emphasis on Hot Walker is the it enables the listener to hear Bukowski, Lenny Bruce, Kerouac, Abbey, and all those people. I know at the time uh, you did say it was part of a trilogy, so you already had that in mind by that point. Yeah, I just didn't know what the third one would be, <laughs> that the third one would turn out to be. Well, does that mean we, we've arrived at the third one? Do you want to, yeah. is there anything yeah, out, I hope, out about uh, Yeah, I think we should get to the third one because I'm still trying to figure it out. It's The Rose of Ross Cray, 52 tracks, and again, we were able to get the rights to include a lot of very important voices in this ballad of American 
And that's no, no small feat. I mean, I put no. together that Miner's Angel disc, and there was a lot of legal wrangling, and you have to get rights not from... As long as we the, didn't overdo it, we tried to keep everybody to a minute or so. Even Johnny Cash is on there. And you got to ask nicely, and you got to get the release, and you and you got to uh, keep it to a minimum. Well, because sometimes you have not just the writer's royalties, performance rights, all that, but you have the, the actual performer, the songwriter. It, it's complicated. I tried to stick in that sense of the word with mostly traditional songs that you don't have to uh, worry about. Just the public just, domain stuff. We on that record, which basically thematically is about an Irish gent named Irish Johnny Dutton, Johnny behind the deuce, who has a girlfriend in Ross Cray. He lives in Templemore. It's the 1880s. He courts her, and her father catches him, I guess he's still a teenager at the time, in, in the barn, making out with her, and beats the shite out of Johnny, and he walks home late at night, mumbling and singing traditional songs, vowing to somehow win her back by going to America and becoming a cowboy outlaw like Billy the Kid, proving to everybody back in Ireland that he's a tough guy and a legend, and he will get back. So that sets the theme of him going to America like a lot of my family did. And that says Broadway musical all over it to me. Exactly. We're still working on that. But uh, we have, there's so much music and so many great voices on it. We, we were, I, I did a record with the Norwegian Wind Ensemble called no. Aztec yeah. Jazz. Right. A lot of people shy away from it because they think jazz or and that's unfortunate because it is such a nice recording. It is very good. Is it available still? Yeah, it's still available. On Front Frontera. Of course, FronteraRecords.com. And it's basically me and uh, my guitarist playing with the Norwegian Wind Ensemble from Halden, Norway, who are the oldest working ensemble in the world. In other words, there was a Norwegian Wind Ensemble 100, 150 years ago. And so it's just me doing Guadeloupe and... Yeah, it's a lot of the blood and candle smoke material yeah. and love, some love and fear things, if I remember, the kind of mid-later periods. I got them and a, and a Swedish composer, Mats Halling, who conducts them sometimes, to do an overture for me, a Western overture, a, a combination of very famous cowboy songs, like Bury Me Not on Lone Prairie, etc., as a uh, overture, because I saw it as a Broadway show, and it's beautiful. And then we have the voices of the characters. Jimmy Dale Gilmore sings, because I think his voice is so Texas and unique. He sings in a few places. David Olney plays uh, the evil Judge Squig, who uh, Johnny's on the gallows at the opening of the show. They're going to hang him for being a horse thief or something. And Olney gets bribed to uh, break him loose, and they go out on the trail together until Olney flips out and wants to go home. And uh, Johnny Cash, I mentioned. Augie Myers plays the sheriff that's chasing Johnny across the West. He's a gospel piano playing evangelistic sheriff. In the back of his covered wagon, he's got a piano. So that enables him to sing a lot of traditional. And there's a lot of humor here, too. <laughs> I mean, it's not just folk opera. No, I mean, no, no. There's a, like Les Mis or Music Man there. What always attracted me was the underbelly of humor and the minor characters. You couldn't dream up David Olney's voice. He's perfect. He is a part-time, like you, John, Shakespearean actor. Perfect for the role. Augie Myers, you couldn't dream Augie up. Texas Tornadoes, Doug Somm, all that stuff. Joe Ely plays one of the sheriff's sidekicks. 
to uh, Augie Meyer, and Joe's got a great voice. Moses Clear Rock Platt was a prisoner in Louisiana and maybe East Texas too, kind of a contemporary of Lead Belly, and he, there's a snatch of him singing. Jimmy Lefebvre, uh, may he rest in peace, does a great version uh, of a river song. It's a very eclectic group, that's yeah. for sure. Bramlin' Jack is on the record again. Tex Ritter, briefly doing Blood on the Saddle. A.L. Lloyd, now A.L. Lloyd is a folklorist, famous folklorist from England 60, 70 years ago. A.L. Lloyd sings the unfortunate rake on the record, which melted into the streets of Laredo. So there's also a lot of folklore on this record. And then one of my favorite singers in the world, the great Finbar Fury, who lives near Dublin now. Well, and, and don't forget Guy Clark, of course. Guy Clark. And, and you and you did a tribute song to him. That can I do another plug? We've yes. got the West Texas in His Eyes single that was yeah. um, it was iTunes only, yeah. but it's I, as far as I know, it's still available. Great tribute song, and this was one of the last things he probably recorded uh, for Rose Rosgray, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, Guy was a friend, and Guy was a kind of guy like Ramblin' Jack who is open to anybody who is sincere. He'll give you plenty of your his time if you if your mission is true and. I called Guy, we were in Nashville recording part of Rosa Rosgren and said, could I get him to sing just a snatch of a song? He, was, he had been through so much, many health issues. I think he had just had a knee replaced and he was in the house alone on the edge of Nashville and I knocked and he hobbled into the room and slowly went to the kitchen and rolled a cigarette and looked out the window all the time. That's where I asked him, Guy, you miss West Texas? Because he mostly wrote about West Texas. And he said, Tom, I should have left this shithole a long time ago. I, I hope I can say shithole. What, I don't know. Name? We may might have to put an explicit on, the, uh, on this re podcast. Referring to Nashville, which is, well, I won't say my sentiments, but he was looking out the window, and he told me a bunch of stories how he wrote L.A. Freeway, and it was wonderful. And then he moved over and showed me his guitars that he built. Then he showed me some of the paintings he'd been working on. And his wife, who'd passed away by now, had been working. It was so wonderful. Then he picked up the guitar finally and said, Tom, what do you want me to sing? I might be able to make it through half a song. And I said, could you do a little of Desperado's Waiting for a Train? And uh, my God, and you can hear it on the record. It was probably the last thing he ever recorded. And I think he passed on several months later and I was so sad but uh, in the same house maybe Towns was living in at one time when he passed he sang three or four two or three verses of you know I sang the Red River Valley and played guitar and it was and he came to an end after a couple of verses said Tom let me do that again I said guy that's perfect we nailed it and we hung out a little further and then I went to the studio later in the afternoon and uh, Dan Penn the great Dan Penn who wrote Dark End of the Street and a lot of other hits from down there in uh, Memphis. Said, can I finish singing the song? I love that song. So you have Guy Clark melting into Dan Penn. In the same sense that you have on Guy Del Cielo, which is included a little, you have Joe Ely melting into Ian Tyson. My thought was to, again, was to present these great voices and we haven't even got to the woman's side yet, which I can do really quickly, but my idea was to expand our notion of Americana. I think it's a square box that they put me and people in. They said Dave Allen and I helped create it with the Merle Haggard tribute 
uh, Tulare Dust, and uh, that was the first charting Americana record when they made an Americana chart, charted number one for a year. So okay, that was what, 15, 20 years ago? But what, to me, what does Americana mean? Does that include Canadian music? Does that include Mexican music, South American music, Native American music? That's what I was trying to expand with this record along with it. I wanted to mention two more guys, Glenn Orland, who's passed now, great cowboy singer, and John Trudell, a Native American, very fond. I have a penchant for including Native Americans in this story of the West. John Trudell has passed now, but... Dylan used to play the John Trudell album before his concerts for a while. He was, and that's he where was I was... such a great yeah. guy, and we... I got to meet touch. him one time. I opened yeah. for him in Italy on his street fair, and we became buddies, and uh, he does a recitation on here that's unbelievable. Crazy Horse, we know what you are saying. <laughs> so I wanted to have Mexican singers and Native Americans, and I wanted to tell the story of the West truthfully so we have the man side johnny riding across the west on the other side we have act two opens with an overture and the woman's side johnny's girlfriend moves out west and kicks him out again and their parts the ladies parts are sung up by the great maura o'connell you know god i've had some of the greatest irish singers in the world on my records she does the Rose of Ross Cray theme song and several other things. The Water is Wide, she hits it out of the park. Um, Eliza Gilkison, who plays Johnny's girlfriend, and Eliza and I sing uh, Jesus Met the Woman at the Well in the Ian and Sylvia tradition. And The Bear, based on my sister-in-law, Claudia, who's a rancher, a story of having to shoot a bear that came into her bedroom, God. Ana Gabriel, the great Mexican singer, my, one, my favorite Mexican singer, doing a little bit of Valentin de la Sierra, a Mexican revolutionary ballad. She, you can hear her hitting it out of the park. Ian Tyson, I mentioned, is on that side too. Bonnie Dobson, I wanted to include another person from Canada. Bonnie Dobson, who now lives in uh, England, is a Canadian who was part of the village sing with Bob Dylan loved her, all those people, Ian Tyson. She wrote a great anti-war song. Um, she, Robert Plant sang it, tons of people. Lead Belly is on, a record, on the record, I'm just remembering. He's the one that's singing When I Was a Cowboy. Dozens of great voices, and not only American voices, Canadian voices, Mexican voices, Native American voices. So. I listened to the record finally recently because it takes a couple hours, and uh, I was happy to have been able to have done it. I'm sure just editing it and deciding, I know that there were some things on the cutting room floor probably, and yep. that must have been quite a chore, just putting it all together. Yeah, that, you know, I'm pushing, I pushed several things to the limit. I mean, if you start recording old cowboy songs and stick to the original, there's a there can be racist lyrics in it and uh, this and that. I had to clean up a few things, as Alan Lomax did and John Lomax when they edited cow their cowboy ballad books. But uh, I wanted to strike at the heart of uh, the West and have uh, the story. The story's basic, you know, it's like the Odyssey in cowboy hats. And Johnny finally, at the end of the record, side two, makes it back to Ireland and lives with the Rose of Ross Cray. So do you feel like with all three of these completed, do you feel like you've said what you wanted to say with the great American trilogy? Where do you go from here? 
I, I don't know. I mean, every record's a little bit conceptual. I want to do a real Ameri take what I did on October the Rollers a little further. And I love the people on the record, Kirchin. And uh, I love recording at Congress House in Austin again because my wife and I have moved back to Austin area. And Yard Dog Art is there that has my art. And uh, Rainbow Man back in Santa Fe has a lot of art. But we're in Austin now part-time, Switzerland part-time. So I want to make a real American record with again with some of these players, but I'm not. I haven't written a song. I'm going to start this summer. But what I'd really like to do with these three records, I may have mentioned it to you, is take the best parts and the voices because there's so much on Rosa Roscray people haven't heard and create one record out of kind of the best of these three records and weave it around a whole new theme. There's so much there. How would you even begin to combine all that stuff? I don't know. I, I think I could do it. It would be a new conceptual record that would be a little bit easier for some people to get some of the best. It would be the best of woven into a new story, maybe. Sounds interesting. We'll be uh, watching for that. I do have one other plug, if I could, is that the Norwegian Wind Ensemble you were talking about recorded an eight-minute overture that was not on Rosa Roscray. But there was a radio promotional CD, and I still have a few of those, and I send them out when people buy the book at FronteraRecords.com. There's a Rosa Ross Cray libretto that um, tells the story, has an essay, but it also has the lyrics. It's a great companion piece if you don't already own it. It's a good thing to have when you're listening to Rosa Ross Cray. As a special thank you to those of you listening to this podcast, we're offering a $5 discount when you order both the two-disc set of Rose of Ross Cray and the program book. With that, you will get the bonus radio promo disc. Just use the code ROSEBOOK, all one word, lowercase, that's ROSEBOOK, when you check out of the shopping cart at FronteraRecords.com. Anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, it's great working with you on the road, and, and you and your partner, Buck, do great things with video and podcasts and uh, running the record company, Frontera Records. Uh, somewhere down the road, we might talk about the art site you manage, but that could be a whole other podcast. Let's schedule that as a whole other podcast. Thank you, John. And we may cut back to the Letterman thing we've been ending with. Uh, I also liked the introduction we got from former Rock Hall of Fame chair Alec Whiteman the other night at our Columbus show. You know, I'm not going to say what he said. I'll say it. Alec said you were the greatest living songwriter, something along those lines. An American, I'm thinking. The greatest, greatest American living songwriter. I hear Bob Dylan's voice in my head saying, gee, I must have been out of town that week. I, I, must, have, <laughs> I must have been out of the country. I must have uh, been out of the country. Me and uh, Neil Young and Lucinda. Yeah, or somebody. I don't know. Bob might agree. He's He's probably familiar with your stuff. He likes Gaio Del Cielo, I've heard through the grapevine, and also uh, Springsteen wrote me a very nice letter about it. We could do a podcast on Gaio someday. And you've been um, doing a nice reinterpretation of that on stage lately, I may by the do way. that tonight in the first set. All right, Buck is signaling me from the production booth to wrap it up. So Thank you, John. Thanks. I guess we'll uh, see you all next time on the podcast from God Knows Where. Thanks a lot for listening. How great is Tom Russell? He is terrific. Isn't he tremendous? He really creates a mood. Yeah, it's always the best. I would like to quit this job and just travel with him. Travel with him? If, if the money can be worked out. I'm sure, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs>